Good morning, Skyview family. Oh man, our tech team is pretty darn amazing. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Uh, many people who are watching online can't see them, but because you are watching online, they are there. So we are thankful for, for you all. I say that because we didn't do a mic check this morning, so amazing, right? I think so. <laughs> I think so. Thank you, guys. And thank you, um, church, for oh, that lovely acknowledgement earlier. My goodness, you just bring tears to my eyes sometimes. But I'm thankful for you and for being here and uh, for God leading me to Skyview and to Calgary and to Canada and, and all that was involved in, in this journey. I'm going to be reading from um, Luke chapter 18 and chapter 19, but uh, first let us pray together this prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading starts in Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As he, Jesus, approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, stood still, and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it. Praised God. Then he entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. But the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> well, here we have two stories. And even though I could probably do a sermon on each one separately, I've been tasked with doing a sermon on both together which highlights different things. You see, we have two different stories about two different 
Two different men, very different men, actually, a blind man and a tax collector. But they have a common interest. They both wanted to see Jesus, whether physically, figuratively, spiritually, they wanted to see Jesus. So in the first story, we have a blind man, a man who had to resort to begging, probably didn't move a whole lot uh, throughout the streets or in the, the town of Jericho, who was thought to be uncleaned or sinful because of his blindness. He's probably forgotten by the community, outcast. And he cries out to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. This is the story. And what's amazing is Jesus' response is twofold, sight and salvation. He gave sight to the blind man and said he was saved. The blind man's response is also twofold. You see, he sees and follows Jesus. He not only sees, but he also follows. But he doesn't just follow. You see, Jesus, that wasn't just about the ministry that Jesus came to Jericho. He wasn't walking through Jericho looking for more followers. There were crowds surrounding him. You see, the man followed him glorifying God. That was verse 43 glorifying God, to make people aware of God's goodness was Jesus' ministry. And then the amazing thing in that story is that everyone followed praising God. That's what it says at the end. I'm just saying this because I, I want you to understand that this is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. We're getting little pieces and glimpses of what this is. This is the first story. Because these miracles weren't just about healing and redemption, but also about connecting back to the community. They were about vision. They were about seeing the kingdom of God. Then we have a second story. Tax collector named Zacchaeus. Let's call him Zach. That's easier. Yeah? Can we agree to that? Zach. Zach cast aside his dignity by climbing a tree. Now, I enjoyed climbing a tree back in the day. I still do occasionally. I'm not always tall enough. I need a boost. But back then, it was considered undignified for a grown man to run and to climb a tree. You can go and look in uh, biblical texts and all that, but, you know, they didn't wear pants like we do now. Let's just, can I get that visual out there? Okay. So when you're up high and people are below you, just imagine what girls have to go through in dresses and skirts. Yes. There you go. That was not dignified for a grown man in a wealthy society to do that. And he didn't just climb any tree, he climbed the sycamore tree. Now, the sycamore tree back then was slightly different than what we're thinking of now. It was actually an inferior type of fig tree. It produced an inferior type of fig. It wasn't as delicious. And it was usually consumed by the poor. So here we have a rich man climbing the tree that the poor people would eat from. Again, he's giving up that dignity by being seen in that tree. 
And being a tax collector, Zach was considered unclean. He was considered outside of the Jewish community because of his dealings with the Romans and because of how corrupt tax collectors were seen to be. So for Jesus to go into his house and have a meal was giving this man his dignity back within the community. That was the second story. There's a third story I want to share with you today. That's my story, at least a little bit of it. Someday, I hope that you can know every single part of me and who I am and my story. Because the point of today is to realize how important stories are. But what that does is it's, um, it takes us to be Come vulnerable. When we share a piece of ourselves, it makes us vulnerable. And a lot of people don't like vulnerability, either to feel it or to see it. Because a lot of times it's seen as weakness or lesser. But I want to challenge that concept because the one that we worship and praise, the one that is our Lord and Savior, he had the ultimate vulnerable moment when he hung on that cross. And I got to say, that vulnerability is powerful. And it takes courage and strength And we all say it, we want to be like Jesus. That includes being vulnerable. So my story. Many of you know that Fabi and I lived in Australia for eight years. If you didn't, welcome to the game. We lived in Australia for eight years, which is why some of my words will mix and mesh and be all weird, and I don't even know what my accent is anymore. So that was before we came to beautiful Calgary and the mountains and the snow. Fabian had never seen snow before moving here. What a wake-up call last winter. That was a lot of snow, and I hear we're getting even more fun, fun times. (laughs) Anyway, during those eight years in Australia, I was actually there because I was studying my master's. Master's by research in mechanical engineering. Funny, right? You have a pastor who's a biologist and an engineer, Talk about a life change. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming when I was younger, let me tell you that. So I was doing my master's by research, which means, and I just need to explain this a little bit for those who don't know, I spent three years in research, all right? And what that means is is you, you do a lot of physical work, a lot of, you know, laboratory work, whatever that is, and then you have to write a thesis, which is basically writing a book. It's hefty and technical, usually boring. So when Pastor Stu says he's doing his doctorate and uh, preparing for that, yeah, just know. (laughs) That's good that it's not boring. That's good it's not boring. But man, lots of grace onto that. I've been there. I don't want to go back. (laughs) 
But the process of this is once you've written the thesis, then, it, then I had to submit my thesis for review, all right? And it had to go through all these panels of people. First, I had to go through my advisor. I had three advisors, by the way, so I had to go through three advisors. Then it had to go through a board in my department. My department was aerospace engineering, which I don't know why it was, but it was. Then it had to go through the board of my school. My school was over 60,000 people, so the board of that school. And then it had to go outside of the school to panelists who were experts in the field that I, that I did my research. Two to three people had to read this. So, if they got my work and then they realized, needs a little bit of tweaking, needs a little bit of editing, then I had to go back, edit it, and then resubmit it to all of those, or whoever wanted it edited, because it's, it's like a hierarchy. You can't go next to the next level in the game until you pass that level. And then once I passed through all those hands, then I could graduate with all those individuals in approval. Hefty, yeah? And I won't get into the little details of how that went for me, but basically my thesis got rejected. Not once, not twice, not three times. A golden four times it was rejected. I smile about that now, but it was rough. Because do you know, and here's my vulnerability shining through, do you know what my biggest fear in life is? This is truth. It's failure. If you know me, you know that. My biggest fear is failure. And anyone can ask Pastor Stu about this, but I am hard on myself. He sometimes reminds me, stop being so hard on yourself. <sighs> Easier said than done. Because sometimes my fear conquers my faith. And I feel way smaller than my stature. I mean, talk about not feeling like enough. Four times. Four times I had groups of people tell me my thesis was not good enough. My work was not good enough. I was not good enough to graduate. That shook my life. It shook my life because it wasn't just a degree to me. It was years of my life. Something I actually did enjoy. I enjoy science and engineering. I enjoy putting things together, figuring out how they work. I enjoy that. And it also affected Fabian and I and our ability to stay in Australia. You see, our visa had run out. And yet, I still had to do this thesis, and they requested that I do more research. And the Department of Immigration told us, too bad, so sad, you have to leave. This was back in 2014. How was I going to do research? back in the United States that didn't even have eucalyptus trees. That's what my research was on, by the way. Mechanical properties of eucalyptus trees, two species in particular, because there's over 500. I wrote a book about it, remember? 
How was I going to do more research in a country that didn't even have these trees? <laughs> so not only did I feel like a failure in my school, in my studies, in my work, but also in my family, in society. And again, I won't get into the finer details of my story because I, I would just sit on the stage, we'd be here all morning, you know? And I'm okay with that eventually. <laughs> so if you want to hear the whole thing, let me know later, another day, another time. But it got to the point where Fabi and I had to leave Australia due to our visas. I still had no degree. We still had no way to return. So I had no way to finish. So we left. We left, we left all of our stuff in Australia and we just left. We were like, forget it, we're gone. Got nothing. We went, we visited family, we traveled, we spent all of our savings on bills back in Australia. <laughs> Thank goodness we had some. There was a purpose for those and then there was none. We spent three months trying to figure out what we were supposed to do. But throughout those three months, I knew, I knew God wanted us to trust him. I knew it. I heard the whispers and the reminders to trust God. But it was hard. I mean, when you study, everyone asks you how your studies are. Every single person. Oh, how's your, how's your uh, master's in Australia going? The one thing I didn't want to talk about was the one thing that everybody knew about me. And I was just like, oh, do I say the truth? Do I lie, which I don't? And every interaction I had with people made me feel smaller and smaller and smaller. Because the truth was that I had failed. And everyone who asked me responded in that way. But you know what I discovered? I discovered that only God's grace and love did not make me feel smaller, cannot make me feel smaller. Because God's grace lifted me up and made me feel like I was enough. Didn't have expectations, didn't have judgment, didn't even ask me how my thesis was. It's like, didn't exist. Just me and God. And only the people who embodied the grace of God made me feel loved in those moments. Made, made me feel like it was okay. It was okay. And through that time, I had discovered that I had to be okay with never finishing my degree. I had to be okay with it. I had to give it up. I realized in that time I had to give it to God and be okay and to trust God that God would carry me through it and that it would all be okay, even if I didn't finish my degree. For someone whose greatest fear is failure, that was a huge step for me. To give it to God. Because I had a change of vision. And it was from this transformation of my vision, of my priority, of my life, 
that I realized God was enough and I was enough for God. God was enough for me and I was enough for God. And I was thankful. It was really weird. We were traveling. We were in Peru. I think we were on the, to the peak of Machu Picchu or something because we just had to get away from everyone. Where do you go? You go on a mountain that's ruins. No people there, just a bunch of alpacas. Which spit, by the way. <laughs> but I was thankful and I had this otherworldly, almost like heavenly joy because I realized I was enough. Even if every single person I met made me feel like I wasn't, I was. And God was going to make me feel that way. And you know what God did? God made a way. Oh, God is good. God is good. You see, with my vision changed and my eyes opened to what truly mattered, my degree didn't matter. It mattered a lot, but it really didn't matter the long scheme. My eyes were truly opened to know that God mattered. It made me realize in whose hands my life was, still is, Fabi and I were able to return to Australia. Again, not getting into finer details. I finished my thesis and graduated a year later. And I graduated knowing that God did not intend me to ever use that degree. That was the revelation I had on that peak. I gave it to God. God gave it back to me. God said, yeah, I'll give it to you, but you're not using it. Ever. That was the revelation. Like, ever. It's just sitting back there. <laughs> no, God had called me to full-time ministry instead. Like I said, what a life change. And let me say honestly, I wish... I wish that I had been surrounded by more people who made me feel bigger rather than smaller. I wish the church had wrapped around me with words of affirmation and love and grace. But all I felt was shame and failure from the majority and love and grace from the minority instead of the other way around. We are called to be a community of love and grace. Oh, I see potential at Skyview, I do. But that hurt back then. But you see, that happened in these stories too. With the blind man and with Zach. Remember Zach? Zach's still here, so is the blind man. In verse 39, the disciples sternly ordered the blind men to be quiet. They acted to stop powerless, marginalized people from coming to Jesus. When have we also stopped marginalized people from coming to Jesus? Either as an individual or as a church, when have we poured out shame instead of love? See, for Zach, he was blessed by Jesus eating in his house. 
But immediately following that, there was grumbling. All who saw it grumbled and were unhappy, saying, what's going on here? Jesus going to a sinner's house? What's up with that? You see, what this tells us is the people who were seeing Jesus doing the work of the kingdom grumbled. Maybe they were the blind ones. Are we the crowd? Or are we those who followed praising God? How do we react? Or what do we think when someone else is blessed? When someone who is not like us comes to church? When kingdom building Work is done. Does it make us uncomfortable? Can we not actually see God's purpose behind that? Or would we rather stick to the status quo of what feels comfortable and safe in our world, in our little bubble? See, the blind man was sitting unable to move much due to his lack of sight. People looked down on him, and Zach was short in stature, like me. You can compare. I'm okay. I like my shortness most of the time. Unless I need something up high in the kitchen cabinets, then I don't. But, but everyone looked down on him physically, but also spiritually because of his career. And the point is, we all feel small at some point in our lives. We all have shortcomings. Ha <laughs> ha. Fun. Thanks. <laughs> Someone else likes puns. But this smallness, these shortcomings, this, you know, it leads us to God's grace. This is what I want to get to. We are meant to run to God when we see our or feel our insecurities. And that's what these two men did. One cried out to God and one climbed a tree. But they both wanted to feel closer to Jesus. You see, we can't control our height, but we can control our hearts. We can confess we aren't perfect. We're all a little broken. We all have moments where we feel small. Sometimes we feel like we aren't enough. And we cry out for mercy. Or we should. And we climb higher to be closer to the one who can save us, who notices us, who sees us when the world doesn't see anything. Jesus sees us. And you know what else? What's interesting is that when we read these two stories together, we're really happy that the blind man can see again, right? I mean, I can't imagine not having my sight. It would be difficult in this world. Imagine back then. And we're happy for that miracle. But let's be honest, do we, do we really sympathize with Zach much? Do we really sympathize with this rich man? 
staying rich. He stayed a tax collector. It didn't say he gave it up. Did you guys catch that? He's pretty comfortable in his life. Are we comfortable that he's comfortable? Pastor John said this past week, which I loved it. He said, Jesus' ministry is shockingly offensive. I don't have a Scottish accent, so it's not as cool saying, but I loved that. Shockingly offensive, and it's true. Grace is shockingly offensive. And Kids Minute, what did Bert and Ernie say? Grace is given to us even when we don't deserve it. That's shocking. Sometimes it offends people. The point is grace meets everyone in their own places of need. Every single person. Every single person. This is about both the poor and the rich. The underprivileged and the privileged. The oppressed and the oppressor. About the victim and the victimizer. About the blind man and the tax collector. You see, God's grace is big enough for everyone. Praise God. And the kingdom of God brings together that which the world says should not go together. That's what the kingdom of God does. It brings together both of these sides to praise God together. Opposites. And that's what the kingdom is. This coming together. This is what restoration and transformation look like. This is what grace actually looks like. It's the coming together of what the world says that shouldn't be there. These people shouldn't mix. That shouldn't, that shouldn't be natural. That shouldn't happen. God's grace just intervenes and says, yes. Yes, it should. Both of these stories, these men had problems with vision. And both of these stories are stories of God's grace. Because God was already at work in their lives, is already at work in our lives. And we're not the reason for transformed lives. Let me say that. Jesus is. We are the witness. The witness. We are the transformed. And praise comes out of this witness encouraging us when it feels like our praise is stifled. We are the transformed, and this transformation ignites a passion within us to actually walk the talk that we talk about on Sunday mornings. To spread the good news, to spread the name of Jesus, to let the world know who changed us, who it actually was. And to walk into the, the places and the spaces that the world deems outside the community, unworthy, unclean, we are meant to go there 
and then shine Jesus' light and love and grace. Not to give shame, but to give love. Not to judge, but to extend grace. As the worship team comes back up, you know, this is where we glorify God. This is how we enter into a place of praise. It's a transformation by grace for the purpose of praise. See, we had two stories, two very different men, remember what I said, who had a common interest. Both wanted to see Jesus. Both were impeded from seeing Jesus by others in some way. And yet joy and praise was a response to what Jesus did. When vision is granted in whatever form that takes, then the kingdom of God is seen. God's grace is seen. God's love is felt. And Jesus finds people like us, you and me. The good news in Luke's gospel with these stories is that God is doing something great today. This is the time. This is the time to open our eyes to see what God is doing around us, to see the kingdom at work. Here at Skyview, here in our community in Northern Hills, here in Calgary, here in Canada, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even if we only see one person, even if we only are one person, who holds on to this hope, who is offered forgiveness, who hears words of affirmation, there, the kingdom of God is at work. It only takes one. Jesus never gave up, never gives up. And each day is a new day, a day of joy, a day of forgiveness, a day of seeing the kingdom of God, a day of grace, a day for new life, and a day of singing what good news this is to spread.